your Bibles this evening to the book of 1 Kings. Chapter 17 is where we're going to pick up, where we left off. Encourage you on these Wednesday nights to bring a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. We'd love to let you use it. And then if you still don't have a Bible, we'll give it to you. We want you to have it so you can uh, mark it up and write in it, take notes and highlight perhaps what the Lord might speak to you as you follow along. And so tonight we are in 1 Kings chapter 17 and an exciting chapter. So why don't we pray together and let's just ask the Lord to bless this time of the study of his word tonight. Father, we just come to you, Lord, with hearts desiring to hear from you. Lord, it's through your word that you give us direction. Lord, it's through your word that you bring about conviction. It's through your word that you bring confirmation. And Lord, I just pray tonight as we study through the word of God, that Lord, you would speak to us, your people. Lord, there are prayer requests represented here tonight. Things people are waiting to hear from you. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just meet every need here tonight, like only you can. And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of 1 Kings, we have observed that the nation of Israel at this point is continuing to plummet into greater depths of depravity because of idolatry. And one of the reasons for their fall was due to the unspiritual, the ungodly leadership of the kings that came to rule. It seemed that in the northern kingdom, specifically those 10 tribes of Israel to the north, with every king that came to the throne, each one of them got worse than the one before. And they just continued to grow in evil. With every new monarch came a greater agenda of idolatry and evil. And one of the worst kings of all of the kings in the north is a guy that we're going to read about tonight, a man by the name of Ahab. Look back for just a second in chapter 16 and look at what it says in verse 30 about this guy. It says, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as a wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and he served Baal or Baal and worshiped him. And then it says, Ahab, notice this, did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So Ahab is extremely wicked. I mean, all the guys that were before him, they were bad. But this guy was twice as bad, 10 times as bad as the rest of the kings. And nobody except for Ahab did more to provoke God to anger. And one of the things that really fueled Ahab's pursuit of idolatry was the woman that he married by the name of Jezebel. She was the daughter of a priest that worshiped Baal and she helped lead the nation into rebellion against the Lord as they served these false gods. The Lord had made it clear. If the nation went into idolatry, if his people turned their backs upon his precepts, that he would use various methods to chasten them. Sometimes he'd allow another nation to come in and carry them away into captivity. On other occasions, he would allow pestilence to strike them. And still at other times, God would use the elements of nature to bring the people back to himself, specifically causing it not to rain. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, the Lord had warned his people long before. He said, take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. You see, if there was no rain, then there's no crops. And if there's no crops, then there's no food. And without food, the people begin to starve. And God was sending a severe drought to awaken his people to the reality of their sin. And in the midst of the darkness of Ahab's reign, God began to chasten his people. Listen, guys, listen, if we turn away from the precepts of God, God, if if you belong to him, he'll chasten you. 
He'll come after you. Why? Because he loves you. And he might send a drought your way. He may send something else in order to get your attention to awaken you to the sin of idolatry. And that's what he did with the nation of Israel because he loved them. And so in the midst of the darkness of this reign of Ahab and Jezebel, God raised up a man with a message for the nation, a prophet by the name of Elijah. And it had been some time since God had actually spoken to his people by direct revelation through a prophet. Yet the arrival of Elijah onto the scene, the process of direct revelation, although formally suspended, now begins again. God is speaking to his people. And by substituting Baal worship for the worship of Jehovah and Israel, Ahab and Jezebel had challenged the existence of the living God. And so God's answer to Baal worship was his mighty prophet Elijah, whose name means Yahweh is God or Jehovah is God. And Elisha would be the man that God used to call a nation back to renewal and revival in the worship of the one true God. And so we begin in verse one of chapter 17. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, as we read about this man, Elijah, we really don't know much about his history. Very little is said of where he came from, who his parents were. He just shows up. He just shows up onto the scene with a word of prophecy for the nation. He comes out of this area, this desert area of Gilead. But there are a few things that you can come to realize about this man, Elijah. I want to highlight them for you. First of all, we know that he was a man that was prepared by God. He had to be prepared by God in order to stand before this king. The Lord called Elijah to stand up for righteousness, to be a messenger in a dark day. And prior to taking the stand for God, no doubt he was prepared. But where was he prepared? He was prepared in private by the Lord to stand publicly for the Lord. And as you search the scriptures, you'll find that many of God's servants were prepared in obscure places for radical ministry. You think of a couple of names like Moses, who stood before the most powerful ruler of his day, saying, let my people go. You think about David, who was called to face a giant with only some rocks and a stick. You think of John the Baptist standing before the Pharisees and Sadducees and exhorting people to turn their hearts back to God. And, and Paul, who stood before King Agrippa and Festus and eventually Caesar Nero in front of these powerful rulers proclaiming unashamedly the gospel. And the thing that all those guys had in common is they all were prepared in obscure places, in private. Moses spent a lot of time in the desert Herding sheep, being prepared for what God had for him. David spent a lot of time alone with the Lord, singing songs to the Lord, developing a prayer life, no doubt, with the Lord. John the Baptist dwelt in the desert, eating locusts and wild honey. Paul in the desert of Arabia, he tells us. Elijah, this rugged place that he came out of is a place of Gilead where at times it can reach temperatures of 120 degrees. That's where God prepared his man in private. And so the Lord could use him. You know, in the scriptures, there are times where the desert is necessary. And there's one desert you don't want to go through. It's the one that takes 40 years to go around. It's the, it's the desert where you're taken because of disobedience. You don't want to be there. That's not the place you want to dwell. It's a chastening tool where God takes you into the desert like the nation of Israel for 40 years until you get it. That 40 years in desert is not something you want to experience as a Christian. However, there are divine opportunities and times where God will take us into solitude, into obscure places, in private places to develop us and to prepare us for what he has for us later on. And maybe tonight you're in a desert spiritually and that can be a lonely place. 
because you start to wonder. It seems like a variable wasteland with no productivity in your life spiritually. However, God's molding you. God's shaping you. Listen, guys, there have been seasons in my life personally as a minister of the gospel where God has taken me places and and where I, I needed to go in order that he could mold and shape me. And there were times when I thought, Lord, what are you doing? What are we doing here? This is fruitless. This is pointless. Is there anything to this? Later on, I found out there was a reason for that. There was a reason for that particular time in my life. God was working things into my life that could not be worked into my life apart from that desert with him. And perhaps that's where you are tonight, not because you're walking in disobedience, but because you are walking in obedience and God is fashioning you and molding you for something that he has for you. And one experience oftentimes with the Lord in that way prepares us for the next. We also know not only was Elijah a man who was prepared in private, but the Bible gives us a New Testament commentary in James chapter five, verse 17. It says that Elijah was a man of like passions, just like you and me. What it means is that he was just a normal guy, a normal dude, just like you and me. Guys, ladies, a normal person. He was just a normal guy, a human being. He didn't have some super cape that had a P on it for profit. He's just a normal guy. And, and we, can, we can assume that he was just a guy like us because the Bible tells us that. And this is what God's looking for. This brings me tremendous comfort tonight to know that God's just looking for normal people. Not people who are extraordinary, just ordinary men and women willing to trust and yield to an extraordinary and powerful God. See, we so often get the wrong picture of who God uses and the types of of people that God uses and the material that God uses. Hey, God uses just people like us, guys. What God's looking for more than anything else is just a heart of a person that's yielded to him. A heart that's surrendered to him. A mindset That says, God, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. That's what God's looking for. See, God can work with that. And if that's your heart, God will use you. Many of God's servants, like Elijah, have come suddenly out of the most unexpected places to be used by God. So we see here he was a man prepared in private. But another thing I want to to show you here, as it says here in the scriptures, is that he represented the Lord in public. Because he was with the Lord in private... He could stand for the Lord in public. He was prepared in secret places in order to stand in very public places. Elijah was a light in darkness. He made a stand. He was an ambassador, if you would, of heaven. And he represented the Lord rightly. And we find out where his strength came from. It's found in the words that he said to Ahab. Notice he said to Ahab there that he stood before the Lord. Before whom I stand. Elijah's strength to stand before a wicked king in light of the threat of death was the fact that he stood before one greater than King Ahab. He stood before the God of the universe. He recognized the presence of God with him at that time. And that was his strength. Listen, guys, each one of us is called to represent the Lord in this world, to make a stand for Jesus Christ. We're like a city set upon a hill. We're salt. We're light in this decaying world. And God calls you into that office where you work because you're probably the one person who's a light in that place. At your mission field. God put you on that job site because you're the one person there who's going to represent Jesus. God put you in that school. God put you in that classroom so that you would represent Jesus. And the question is, are we shining for Christ at the present time? Reflecting his light to the world in darkness. Elijah prepared in private, representing the Lord then in public. But also we find him walking in obedience. This is another element I believe that's extremely important as it relates to being used by God. Walking in obedience. You see here in verse 5, it says he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. He did what God told him to do. God desires our obedience. The condition, oftentimes to obtaining the blessing of God in our lives, is surrendering to him and walking in obedience to his word. Elijah obeyed. What God said. Ask yourself the question tonight Am I walking in obedience to the Word of God? Am I walking in obedience to what I know the Bible says? 
That's where blessings found, guys. Walking in obedience to the word of God. God places a high priority on obedience to his word. To obey, God says, is better than sacrifice. Obedience to the word of God. How important that is. But then we find Elijah also not, not just prepared in private, not just standing in public, and, and not just obedient to God. But in addition to that, we find him trusting in God because God tells Elijah to go away from Ahab to this place where there's this brook of water. In the midst of a drought, God is going to provide water for his prophet and he's going to feed him. And he's going to feed him in a really uncharacteristic way. He's going to send birds, ravens. Ravens are unclean birds, according to the Jewish mindset. They're, they're carry-on animals. They, they're, they're not nice birds, necessarily. And yet God is going to provide for Elijah in a very unique way. And so Elijah obeys the Lord. He goes down to this place, to this brook. And there he drinks from the brook consistently, morning and evening. These ravens, could you imagine just like waiting for breakfast? And yeah, here they come. Just this flock of ravens just dropping all kinds of goodness for you to eat in the morning. And then you're just trusting that they're going to be back later that night. To bring you dinner. Apparently he skipped lunch. He just drank from the brook. But nonetheless, they, twice a day, these, these animals commanded by the Lord. This is miraculous. Elijah's told where to go. He's told what to do by the Lord. And I think this is a test of his faith. I mean, seriously. If God told you, hey, I got something for you. I want you to go down. There's a little brook over there, a little creek. I want you to drink from that. And don't worry. Well, what am I going to eat? Don't worry. I got some birds. I'm going to send some birds your way, and, and they're going to provide for you. I, I would question that. I'd wonder, God, are you really going to provide? I wonder if there were ever days that Elijah thought, are the ravens going to come today? Or are they not coming? What was happening? Why did God take him out there? I believe that God took Elijah out to this place again to prepare him yet for further ministry. That would happen. Oh, in just the next chapter, God was testing his faith. He had to learn to trust God that his nourishment, that his provision was going to come from the hands of God. There was nothing he could do. He couldn't go out. He was, he was a marked man. And so God provided for him uniquely to test his faith, to develop his faith. Just like God does with you and me. You ever had God provide for you in very unique ways that you didn't expect? <laughs> you were like at the end, you're, you're doing the, I don't really know how we're going to pay the rent this month. I'm not sure how it's going to happen. Um, anyhow. And then suddenly God provided just miraculously, just like ravens dropping something at your door. And you thought, oh my goodness, Lord, that was you. I can tell you so many times over the years where God has faithfully provided for us when we did not know where it was going to come from. Especially in the years early on when we, when we went out and planted a church with ourselves. And it was just that you don't know where it's going to come from. You have no idea. You have two kids and you have a wife and you don't, you don't know where it's going to come from. And you're working a job and you're barely getting by and you don't know where it's going. And God faithfully provided. I really don't know how he did it. He just did. Have you ever noticed you've never been able to afford kids if you have them? You ever noticed how you've never been able to afford anything? It's just the Lord, man. He just provides. God provides for our needs. He has been so faithful. You're here tonight. You're clothed. You have food. You have shelter. God's provided. And God will continue to provide. And so as he walks in obedience to the will of God, God continues to provide for him and God will continue to provide for you. Listen, God doesn't love you any less than he loves Elijah. And if God needed to bring some ravens to your house tonight, he would do it. But he provides other ways. And so Elijah had his faith tested and he learned to trust God. But notice this, verse seven, things are going well, but then it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Oh no, now the brook's dried up. Now he doesn't have water. What's he gonna do? Again, I believe another test of Elijah's faith. God, and by the way, God will allow you to be tested in one area and you'll grow. And then God will allow another test to come and you'll grow. And it's all, it's just part of how it works, guys, as a Christian. You might be surprised tonight. You're going through a test. You're going through a trial. I'm saying it with a smile on my face because I'm with you. I'm among you. And you just, you're thinking, what, 
is going on? God's doing a work in you. God's developing you. God's fashioning you. God's molding and shaping you. God's testing you. God's developing you. He's making you into what he wants you to be. Yield to it. Yield to it. Don't fight it. Allow the Lord to do what the Lord's going to do. And you just walk in obedience. You just walk in faith and you trust. Look back and see all the faithfulness of God and just keep going even through this test. Maybe your brook is drying up. Maybe your, your resources are dwindling and you're wondering, God, why are you allowing this? Perhaps he's teaching us not to trust in those gifts, but in himself. Perhaps he wants to drain us of self, just like he drained the apostles before Pentecost. I mean, just emptied out, man, of nothing but him. And God will do that. God will do that. And so there he is now making his way. The word of the Lord comes to him. I love this. God doesn't leave him hanging. In verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Notice the obedience. So he arose and he went to Zarephath and he went and he came to the gate of the city. And indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks and he called her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Notice that when everything dries up, God speaks to him again. God speaks to him. And you find Elijah being led one step at a time. God said, first, go to Ahab. Okay, I'm here. Now leave Ahab. Okay, I left. Now drink from this brook. Now wait for the ravens. Okay, I've, I've done that. Now the brook's dried up. What am I supposed to do? God speaks. Now I want you to go here. Just one step at a time. Oh, I'd love it if God would just say, A, B, C, D. Just, this is the plan, John. This is the five-year plan. Just walk this out. No, no, no. I'm on the day plan. It's like, what's today? I'm on the hour plan. I don't know what the next hour holds. I'm just walking this thing out, man. And Elijah is just one step at a time being led by the Lord. And he's walking in obedience to what God showed him to do. And perhaps Elijah would not have walked in obedience if God had mapped it all out. I'm not going to stay with any widow. Is she rich? I mean, if she's rich, I'll go stay. No, there's none of that. He's just having to walk it out in faith. And so he does. He walks by faith and not by sight. And when he gets down there to Zarephath, just like the Lord told him, he saw this little old lady, saw this widow here, and she's picking up sticks. And uh, he calls out to her and he said, could you please give me a little water and a cup that I may drink? And as she was going to get it, he called to her and he said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and only a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son that we might eat and die. I'm thinking of Elijah, like, is this the right widow? Because she's making her last meal and they're going to die. Lord, this can't be, is is there any other widows in town? I'm supposed to meet a widow here. No, this is the one. This is the one. And once again, Elijah is put into a situation where he is going to have to trust the Lord. And this widow is also going to have to trust the Lord. So he asks for a cup of water and she's on her way to get it. And he says, hey, by the way, I'm, how about a pancake? How about a little something? And she says, I don't have enough for you. She said, this is all that I have. It's a little here, a little bit of that. This is my last meal and we're going to die. It's interesting because God was not only concerned about Elijah, but he was also concerned about this widow. He was going to provide for her as well. And notice what Elijah says. He said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Hey, there's a test of faith for her. And then notice the promise that Elijah gives her. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. She says, I don't have anything. I'm I'm tapped out, servant of the Lord. I've got nothing. And he said, that's all right. Just offer, make it first for me and then go and make some. And I promise you on the word of the Lord, it won't run out. God will continue to provide for you. Christian, have you found that to be true? You ever been brought to a place where you thought, a little oil in my jar, a little meal, I'm not really sure what, what's next. And God has been faithful to his promise. And he has continually provided in ways that have astounded you and amazed you. God is so faithful, isn't he? The ways that he comes through. 
And this woman, but listen, she's going to have to hold on to the promise of God. She's got this prophet out of nowhere, just showing up, telling her what to do, gives her a promise, but she's going to have to act on that. She's going to have to take him at his word and believe that what he says is actually true. She's going to have to walk it out. You'll notice, guys, these chapters tonight, it is all about living by faith. It is all about believing what God said and walking in obedience to that, even when you can't see the next step. That's where she's at. She's got to hold on to the word of God. And tonight, that may be where you are. You've got nothing but the word of God. But let me tell you something. If you've got that, you've got enough. (laughs) Because God's word... He's faithful to it. He will keep his promise. He said, but all I have is this one scripture. Hang on. Hang on to it. God is good to his word. He'll come through. He always does. He always does. And so in obedience, this woman has the promise of God. She's instructed with the command and she does what she is asked of her. And notice what it says in verse 16. The bin of flour was not used up nor the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Guess what? God came through. It didn't run out. God remained faithful. And listen, as God remained faithful to her, God will remain faithful to us. It's not going to run out. God's going to take care of you. As long as you continue to walk in obedience to the Lord and you continue to walk by faith and you do what he says, God's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of me. He's going to provide. So if you came in here worried tonight, let this story be for you. But walk in obedience to the word of God and hang on to the promise of God and live by faith and God will provide. In verse 17, here's another trial. Now after, now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So he, she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. You talk about one trial to the next trial. This was Unbelievable. I mean, here she is, she's taking God at his word, she's being provided for, and then something happens. Her son was touched with sickness and he he dies. And she looks to Elijah. It's interesting, isn't it? She said, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance? I don't know what the sin of this woman was, but apparently she was under attack and thinking that something that she had done in the past brought about the death of her son. That's kind of what she was going through. And sometimes, you know, you come across people, they're going through the most severe trial and and they they start wondering, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Was it my past? Was it something I did? You know what? Let's face it, guys. We live in a fallen world and there are things that are out of our control that just happen. And I don't really have all the answers. God does, but he doesn't even always give us all the answers. Sometimes we have questions when someone's suffering through cancer or somebody that we love passes away or, or something like that happens or a child gets in a car accident. All of these things, we just, we don't know what to do with this and why would God allow it and how come God? I don't know. But let me encourage you. As we've said before, never exchange what you do know for what you don't. Hold on to what God has shown you. Believe what God has said. This woman thinks that it's her fault. And I do not believe that it is. But here's another test of her faith. And so what does Elijah do? Interesting that Elijah says to her, give me your son. You know, I read that today. And it made me think about parents raising their kids and wondering, what do I do with my child? They're not walking in obedience. They're running from God. They're pursuing the things of the world. They're living carnally. They're destroying their lives. What am I supposed to do? And the Lord would say, give me your son. Turn him over to me. Bring him to me. And you know what? How do we do that? We do it in prayer. We do it in prayer. Praying for our kids daily. Just crying out, God, I turn them over to you. I don't have any control over this. Lord, I turn them over to you. I've done everything I can do. Lord, I give them to you. And I love that although the son was dead and although perhaps some sons and daughters may be spiritually dead at this moment, listen, we give them over to the Lord and he's the resurrection and the life and he can raise dead things. Notice what happens. 
Then he cried out to the Lord. Elijah begins to intercede and say, oh, Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? He's asking God. Here he says, give me your son. And he's in private saying, God, what's going on? This man of faith, this man who's trusted God, Lord, what are you doing? And so then it says he stretched himself out on the child three times. And he cried out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Three times, consistently praying, fervently praying. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. What a miracle. God raised this child from the dead. Notice the consistency of prayer with Elijah, not just once, three times. Sometimes, guys, listen, we need to continue in prayer about things. If God hasn't said no, And God hasn't told us, no, that's not my will for your life. Keep praying. Keep going. I think sometimes we get to this point where we're we're about to press through and we just, ah, forget it. I'm done praying about this. I have prayed about this for two years. I am done praying about this. I have prayed about this for 10 minutes and I am sick of waiting. You know, don't stop praying. Keep praying fervently, faithfully praying until God answers. Sometimes we quit. Too early. And so he prayed. The Lord answered this boy, revived. Verse 23, Elijah took took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you're a man of God and that the word of God in your mouth is the truth. I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, the oil, the jar never ran out. Now you know. Well, whatever, she knew now. It was a process for her coming to the realization that God is real, God is able. And sometimes people go through that process, you know that? They disregard the faithful provision of God, the faithfulness of God, and they're kind of on the fence, and then something happens, and you know what? I'm convinced, that's it. God is God, I believe it. And God brought her son back to life and also brought her to faith in the true and the living God. Well, and it came to pass after many days, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Three years has gone by. There's a severe famine, a severe drought. And now the Lord speaks to Elijah a a third time, really, and says to him, here's what I want you to do. Now I want you to go appear to Ahab. Oh, before he said, go and hide from Ahab. Now he tells him, I want you to go and I want you to make yourself uh, or present yourself, I should say, before Ahab. And Elijah, a man equally ready for either task, he walks in obedience and he goes and he's going to find the king and have a confrontation with him. Notice and make a note of it. The Lord said, you go and I'll send rain. You do what I've told you to do and then I'll take care of the rest. Sometimes, Lord, how about you send rain and then I'll go? No, it's not gonna be that way. You go. Again, you see a step of faith. You go and I'm gonna, but Lord, it's been three years. Are you serious? See, Elijah, because he had this track record with God, of seeing the faithfulness of God and the obedience to God's word and watching God come through. It's, it's without hesitation. Boom, I'm going. God's gonna send rain. He raised that kid back to life. God provided for me with ravens for Pete's sake. I believe it. I'm going. He was convinced. No doubts. He goes. God provides. I'm thankful for that. In verse two, so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab and there was a severe famine in Samaria and Ahab had called Obadiah who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And so it was when Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go into the land to all the springs of water, to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive. And so we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. The the famine was extremely severe. And so they're still looking for spots for their animals to graze. Possible pasture land, hoping against all hope that they'll find some place to feed their animals so they don't have to put them to death because in the strength of horses and so forth was the military power. And so you start killing off 
your animals, you're, you're um, in a difficult place and you're susceptible to attacks of your enemies. But the thing that, that amazes me is that after three years, after the word of the Lord comes to him and says, if you don't repent, basically, it's not going to rain. You don't find him repenting. You don't find him crying out to God. He, he, the, everything is drying up and his heart is so hardened against the word of the Lord and the word from the prophet that he's still trying to survive apart from God. Still trying to figure out a way to, to live life without acknowledging God. I know there's got to be some pasture around here somewhere. He's still searching. Now, although you may be perplexed by Ahab's folly, and I am, I look at it and I think, what a fool. The Lord tries to get people's attention from time to time. They're not serving the Lord. They're not walking after the Lord. And there's famine in their soul, and it grows worse every day. And rather than respond and cry out to God, They hang on to their industrious planning. They start plotting how they're going to get through this. They try to rationalize. They make excuses for how they're living. And and, and I've I've often wondered, hey, how how bad does it have to get before you actually acknowledge that God has spoken to you and you need to repent and get right? What else has to happen? Does God really have to, to go to extreme measures to get your attention in order for you to respond? It reminds me of Jonah. Same thing happened to him. Just disobedient. I mean, he had to be taken down to the very bottom of the sea and thrown back up before he would be obedient to God. And here, Ahab, rather than crying out to God in the midst of his circumstances, he's still walking in disobedience and trying to get by. I hope, I pray to God, that doesn't doesn't describe you tonight. That you have heard the voice of the Lord. You have hearkened to the word of God and you're not living in rebellion, still trying to keep it going. It'd be a shame. And so Ahab walks in disobedience. Thankfully, there was one man there who, even in the courts of Ahab, was a godly man. His name is Obadiah, and he protected the prophets from Jezebel, who had slain many of God's prophets, and he had hid them in a cave, it says. And in verse 7, now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him, and he fell on his face, and he said, Is that you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered, It is I. Go tell your master Elijah is here. And so he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hands of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, Go tell your master Elijah is here? And it shall come to pass as soon as I've gone from you, the spirit of the Lord's going to carry you to a place I don't know. And when I go to tell Ahab, he cannot find you. He'll kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. And, and he goes on to describe how he had protected the prophets of Baal. And Obadiah is really concerned that if he goes and gets Ahab, that the Lord's just going to pick Elijah up and he's going to be gone. He's going to come back. Just kidding, Ahab. He's not here. I was just, I thought I saw him. It wasn't him. It was a different guy. That was here. No, he's afraid that he's going to be put to death. I mean, this king is so desiring to, to put uh, Elijah to death that if Elijah's gone, when Obadiah goes to get him, he knew that he would die. But Elijah reassures this fearful servant that he was going to meet with the king that day. As he tells him, as the Lord of hosts lives, verse 15, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So, It says that Obadiah went and he found the king and he brought him to Elijah. Now notice their confrontation here. It says in verse 17, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he said, I haven't troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Interesting, isn't it, that when... Elijah meets with Ahab. A fascinating statement from this king truly reveals his heart. He says, Elijah, you're the problem. You're the problem, Elijah. But notice the problem wasn't Elijah. The problem was Ahab. And yet because Ahab is so blinded by his sin, he thinks that Elijah's the problem. When in reality, Ahab and Jezebel were the problem. And he begins to blame someone else for his own sin. Sin is deceptive in that way. It can deceive you. If you're in sin and you're, you're living in sin, it blinds you, it binds you up. And here's the thing. You, 
you'll think that every, it's everybody else's fault. It's not my fault, it's his fault. Don't tell me, it's your fault. And you'll find somebody to blame. Rather than take ownership and repent and get right, it's, just, it's one of those things about sin that's so deceptive. You don't, if you don't think it's true, just, just look in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. It's the woman you gave me, Lord, said Adam. It's the tree you put in the garden, Lord. I mean, all the things, we're just shifting blame on everybody. Rather than taking responsibility and repenting, King Saul did the same thing. You remember? He said, it's the people. When people live in rebellion against God, one of the fruits of their wickedness or their sin manifests itself in blaming God for the calamities that come upon them. Sometimes we like to ignore God until a difficulty comes. And then when it comes, we want to blame him for it. Although we've brought it upon ourselves as if it was God's fault when in reality, God had warned us long before. Have you found out that anything you've been ensnared by, God warned you long before, don't go that way? And then you just kind of ignored the warnings and the warning signs or the people that God sent or the messengers that God sent or the sermons you heard, turned off and I listen to that. I don't agree with that. I don't listen to what my wife says. I don't care what my husband says. I don't care what my mom says. I don't care what my dad says. I'm doing what I want to do pretty much. So there, that's what happened to Ahab. But Elijah boldly puts his finger on the problem and said, I haven't troubled Israel. It's, it's because you've forsaken God. You've forsaken God's word. That's why you're in the situation that you're in. Don't, don't call it some philosophical, you know, definition. This is just flat out sin. That's what it is. It's just sin. Call it what it is, man. Sometimes people come for counsel and they say, well, I don't really know why he's acting that way or she's acting that way. And I can just, let me just tell you straight. It's sin. Oh yeah. Well, you know, maybe it's, no, it is. It is. Call it what you want. Call it sin drome. I don't care. It's sin. You understand? That's what it is. It's sin. It's just rebellion against God's word. And so Ahab had forsaken the word of the Lord and worshiped idols. So look at this challenge. Elijah steps up and he says to him in verse 19, Therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. This is, he's throwing down the gauntlet. He said, why don't you meet me on Mount Carmel? We're going to have a showdown. We're going to have a, a wrestle off. We are going to discuss who is the true and living God. And so it says in verse 20, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, gathered all the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, look at this, how long? Will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. As they all gather up onto that Mount Carmel, Elijah just says, hey, listen, if you're going to serve God, serve God. If you're going to serve Baal, then serve Baal. But listen, don't be, don't be divided. Don't have a divided heart. Decide who you're going to serve. If you want to serve Baal, then just do it. Serve Baal. But if you want to serve God, then serve God. It reminds me of what Joshua said. Do you remember? Joshua said the same thing towards the end of his life. He told the people, hey, listen, who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve those gods on the other side of the river? Are you going to serve the one true God? Make a decision. Don't be undecided because if you are, you're, you have a divided heart and you cannot serve God with a divided heart. Either live in the world and be the heathen that you want to be or repent and live for Jesus. But to try to do both is a divided heart and trying to serve two masters. And no man can serve two masters, Jesus said. You can't do it. And if you've ever tried, you know how difficult it is. Because you know too much. You know too much about the Lord to really be a successful heathen. And you know too much about the world to really be a faithful Christian because you're just too convicted, man. You don't want to be around God's people. You don't want to go to church. You don't want them to see you where you're at. You just don't want to because you, you just can't. It's too convicting. And the nation here was divided. So Elijah says, hey, listen, you guys need to choose. You need to make a decision. Maybe you're here tonight and you're kind of on the fence, man. You kind of live how I used to live. Like, you know, one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus. And just try, it depends on who you're with. If you're with those certain friends on Saturday night, you are. You're there, man. You're in the world. Sunday morning, what service are we going to? Man, I had a long night. I'm going to go to 1115. I'm worn out. Okay. And you're, you're with those people. Don't be that way, man. You're either all in or all out. Make a decision. Don't be divided any longer. Serve God. Serve the Lord. Now, as he throws down this challenge, this is exciting, man. 
I want to see the replay of this in heaven. It's going to be great. I'm like, Lord, pause it, pause it, pause it. Oh, that's awesome. Anyways, here he is. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put the fire under it, or put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then call in the name of your gods and I will call in the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. So all the people answered, it is well spoken. So that's what they're going to do. They're going to build two altars. They're going to have two oxen and they're both going to set up their altars and they're just going to put them on there and they're going to ask, the, ask God to call down by fire. And, and they believe that Baal was the God of nature. So if he's all powerful, then he'll, surely he'll answer by fire. And so they prepare. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many and call in the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So he lets them go first. And so they took the bull, which was given to them. They prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning, even till noon. Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they leaped about the altar, which they had made. And so it was at noon when Elijah, he began to mock them. And he said, cry loud for he is a God. Either he is meditating. He is busy. He's on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and he must be awakened. This, this is kind of interesting language here because Elijah sees him start dancing around the altar. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Oh, Baal, they start out real mellow. They get very charismatic. And they really start screaming for Baal to come down and to answer by fire. And Elijah mocks them. And, and as he, he's mocking them, he's, he's saying, maybe your God's busy. But, but the language is maybe he's in the celestial restroom. He's not, that's what it means. He's relieving himself. And he's mocking their gods. And they don't think it's funny. And so they take it to the next level. And it's so sad. Notice they cried aloud, verse 28, and they cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And at midday when they had when was passed, when they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. You know, that is the result of crying out to the gods of this world. No one listens. They're not going to answer you. They can't deliver you. They can't save you. But how many people do you know today crying out to the gods of pleasure to somehow rescue them? They, they can't. They're powerless. The God of relationships, the God of, you know, money, the God of whatever it is you think that's going to deliver you in your moment of trial. And it doesn't respond and it doesn't answer because there's no power. There's no power there to deliver you. There's only one God that is able to deliver. And so here they are. They're, they're, they're now physically cutting themselves and, and they're destroying their lives and, and, and praying that their gods would answer and their gods don't answer. And how many people do you know live after the God of this world and their lives are a mess and their lives are destroyed and no one's there to answer them? They have no answers. When nobody else is around, when they're by themselves, they would cry out to something, but nobody answers them. And that's what had happened to these gods. Enough was enough. Elijah had had it. And so he said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he re- notice what he does. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two sails of seed. And he put the wood in order. He cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water. Pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And then he said, uh, they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And he did it a third time. And so water ran all around the altar, filled the trench with water. I mean, Elijah's really walking in faith here. I mean, this is, this is, this is big time. I mean, he, notice, first of all, he repairs the altar with the 12 stones. That's the first thing. Worship has got to be reestablished. And so he rebuilds this altar that had been broken down. People had forsaken it. And so very symbolic, he takes 12 stones and puts things back in order the way they're supposed to be, the way God wanted it to be. That's the first step. Get back to worshiping God. 
And so he puts these stones in order. He builds this altar and then he digs a trench and then he just starts soaking the thing. Just pour more water on it. I mean, you couldn't light it if you wanted to because it was so saturated. It was so wet. You you couldn't get the fire started. You ever had really wet wood before and tried to light it? And just no matter what you do, you can't light it. It's because it's, it's soaked. That's how it was. Just completely drenched. And then after that, the water's running all around the trench. Elijah begins to pray. And it says here, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you're the God in Israel and I'm your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. What a powerful prayer. Notice what happened. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said, seize the prophets of Baal and don't let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and he executed them there. I mean, this is powerful. He cries out in front of all the people. These guys have been crying out all day from morning till evening, nothing happening. He says one prayer and the fire of God falls and God consumes that sacrifice and the people recognize that it was the Lord. When did the fire fall? It fell when the altar was repaired and the sacrifice was placed in its proper order and when prayers were offered up, that's when the fire came. I think in the scriptures of the Holy Spirit being like fire, it's that picture of the Holy Spirit. It says in the book of Acts that on the day of Pentecost, they were praying, they were all with one accord. And it says that great tongues of fire were over them. They were baptized. Jesus said, you're going to be baptized uh, with fire. Actually, John the Baptist said that concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be lit with fire. I'm baptizing you with water, but there's, there's a baptism of fire that Jesus is going to bring. And I just think that's what we need today. We need the the fire of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of God's people to come upon us in a fresh way. We need to repair the altar of personal worship and devotion to Jesus in our own lives personally and then as a church corporately. We need to get back to that. We need to get back to building the altars that we've just kind of let go. The altar of the devotional life. We just let it just fall into ill repair and we're, we're busy, you know, cruising around, dancing around other altars. When, wait a second, repair this. I want the fire of God in my life. I want the power of God at work in my life. Then repair the altar. With God's help, repair the altar. And remember the sacrifice that was made for you. It's the sacrifice of Christ. Get back to that. Get back to those things and watch as the Holy Spirit begins to work once again. You know, that's really my prayer for the church of Jesus Christ today. It's a prayer for our church here, for the churches in this valley, that that we get back to what we're supposed to be doing, that the fire of God would work in such a way that people would say around us who have formerly served idols and icons and statues and all the rest of it would say, the Lord is God. That's what we need. Someone said, if you get on fire, everybody will come and watch you burn. Wouldn't it be great if the, the world could see the church on fire for Jesus Christ? That's what we should pray for. But it starts with repairing the altar personally and then corporately. The church doesn't need more entertainers and pulpits. The church needs uh, men preaching the word of God and, and repairing the altar and bringing it back to what it's supposed to be about. And I believe that's when God moves by his spirit. Man, I pray for that, guys. That's, I'm just sharing very candidly with you. That is a prayer on my heart that I cry out to God consistently because really let's face it for me personally let me give you a personal application of this verse i apply this verse obviously in the text that it's found but there's some personal application for me here as well people often ask me i'm just pausing to share this with you how do you prepare john how do you study what do you do i do this i do this right here i get the wood in order as it were i get the altar in order get the water on uh, sacrifices in order i'm studying as much as i can but then i pray for god only you can bring fire to this thing only you can, can, can make this affect anybody. And I, even in the church. Well, what about the church? You know what? Honestly, I just do what I can do. 
I do everything I possibly can, but I realize there is something that I cannot provide. Only God can provide. And when I'm in right relationship with him, that's when it can work. And so I seek to build the altar, seek to to put things in order. Okay, Lord, I'm doing what I can. You bring it, Lord. There are certain principles that we apply here at the fellowship. Now we're committed to the word of God. We're committed to fellowship. We're committed to prayer. We're committed to communion. We're committed to, to the Lord. And so we do what we can do, but only Jesus can provide. Only Jesus can provide that fire. And so we long for it. And I, can I ask you just in, in your own life, maybe you could add that to your prayer request that God would continue to pour out his spirit upon us in these days. Well, they said the Lord, he is God, but that's not the end. We're almost through verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, I mean, this guy is walking in radical faith. Go, go up, eat and drink for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Now I want you to get that because it hasn't rained for three years. And he said, there's the sound of the abundance of rain, but it's not raining yet. But he says, there's the sound. That's faith. That's faith. That's somebody who knows God. But can you see, can you see the way that Elijah's grown in faith? Can you see the way that God's developed him in these two chapters? Started out, stands for the Lord, and then he goes to this place he's provided for. I mean, his faith is growing. And then he goes and stays with this widow, and his faith grows even more. And then he sees this dead kid, and then he raises him back to life. I mean, he's growing. And now he's at the point where God's, and he just saw God answer by fire. I mean, what's rain? Big deal. Rain is coming. I'll just tell you that right now. I mean, what else can, I mean, he believes. He's convinced God's going to do it. And so, There's the sound of the abundance of rain. And so Ahab went to eat and drink and Elijah went up top of Mount Carmel and notice this, he bowed down to the ground. He put his face between his knees. He's on his face before God on his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. And then it came to pass in the seventh time that he said, there was a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. He girded up his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is so amazing. God told Elijah, you go and I'll send rain. So he goes, but he still needs to pray. And so he gets on his face and he just starts crying out to God. And he has a servant there. First time he prays, is there anything? Uh, nope. Second time, you see anything? Remember, Elijah's a man like us. I mean, he's just like you and me. I'll be praying, did anything happen? Ah. You know, you go back and you pray some more. Anything happen? Ah. You go back and you pray some more. Seven times. I'm serious, at the sixth time, I would have thought, I thought you said there was the sound of the abundance of rain. I don't see it. What's happening? But he keeps on going. He keeps persevering because God told him it was going to happen. It's just a matter of time. And so he keeps on praying, keeps on praying. And his servant said, I see like a cloud. It's like the size of a man's fist. And that's tiny in the distance. It's like a little tiny black cloud. Elijah said, that's it. Up off his knees. Hey, you might want to get down the hill because it's going to pour. That's faith. That's faith. And sure enough, man, the skies become black. It starts raining. Ahab jumps in his chariot, fires it up. But the Lord came upon Elijah. It says he girded up his loins and he ran, outran the chariot. 13 miles he ran. He booked 13 miles, outran the chariot. I wish the Lord would come upon me like that when I run gird up my loins and run. He ran and he made it there before him. What an amazing thing. God was faithful. In the midst of a darkened situation, God raised up an ordinary man, began to grow him in his faith, began to teach him many things, used him in a mighty way to call the people back to revival, back to himself. And he stood for the Lord and God answered his prayers. As I said from the outset, Elijah was a man, just like you and me. And he prayed. May God help us to pray in that kind of a way. Pray in faith, believing that God answers. And keep on praying, 
There's a number of lessons here. Walking by faith, absolutely. Trusting God, seeing him provide, yes. Being a person of prayer, certainly. Being obedient to the Lord, absolutely. When you call, when you say do it, I'm going to do it. Now next week, we'll find that Elijah was a person just like us. Because after this incredible victory, I mean, God is moving. God is working. God is so faithful. This great prophet of God gets an email from a woman that sends him, well, I'm not going to tell you what happened. You're just going to have to come back and find out. But suffice it to say, he hits a radical trial and he deals with some heavy depression in his life. You know, it's possible to be a Christian and be plagued with depression from time to time. A lot of people suffering through it, man. Is there hope? Is there answers? Absolutely. That's just a preview of what we're going to talk about next time we get together. But just know this, God's faithful. God answers prayer. Continue to trust him. Continue to walk by faith. Hold tight to the promises of God. I hear the sound, (laughs) the abundance of rain. Father, tonight, we see the life of Elijah and we see our community. We see the state of the church. Lord, we're longing for you to pour it out, God. Lord, in greater measures. Lord, we believe truly that we're living in days that, that are marked by your coming, Lord. Father, we, we want to see fire fall, God. A genuine, genuine work of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Not, not something that we try to manipulate, something we try to conjure up, but something that is something that only you can do. So, Lord, we prepare the altar of our heart. We pray that you do that work. We want to see it, God. We want to be part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us tonight and let's close in a song of worship.